If you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 2 and uh, just leave them right there and we'll read that passage in just a few moments. I want you to think about the thought and the theme that we have been singing about this morning. For Jesus to be our King. We're living in a time today where our world is confused, our world is hurting, our world is lost. All the more reason for the people of God to stand and shout that we are children of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. That is a wonderful place to be. That's a wonderful relationship to be in. But as much as we know that, and as much as we know how great it is to be in that relationship with the King of Kings, we also know that from the very beginning of time, as we have been looking at over the past few weeks, Satan is also working. Satan is working in such a way where he is striving to get God's children to go farther and farther away from the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And he will do everything in his power to try to accomplish that. Because as much as you and I want to be close to God, as close to him as we can be, Satan does everything he can to push us far away from that relationship. And so when that guiding star had brought the wise men to Judea, the wise men headed straight for Jerusalem, the most likely place for a king to be born. And so in Matthew 2, when that question was asked, where is the king to be born? It startled not just the individuals, it startled the city. And it also got somebody else all up in arms. Because you see, at just about the time that God was ushering in a new king, there was another king already in place. And so when King Herod caught wind of Jesus. You can only imagine, if you know the story and the life of Herod, what that did to him and how he reacted. You see, Herod was born into a politically well-connected family. I mean, if you look back at his life, he was destined for a life of power brokering in all that he wanted to do and all that he wanted to accomplish, the number one thing that, was, that Herod had above everybody else at that time was power. And if he didn't have it, he would go to great lengths to make sure that he captured it from that particular individual. And so at 25 years old, which was unheard of, he was named the governor of Galilee, which was a high position 
for such a young man. And the Romans were hoping that Herod could control the Jews who lived in that area. Well, you see, I think one phrase that you could use to describe the life that Herod lived was this. He was preoccupied with power. He was addicted to it. You know, you and I can become addicted to a lot of different things today. We talk about drugs and alcohol and pornography and all of these things that that our bodies and our lives and that our eyes and our minds become addicted to. For Herod, he was addicted to power. Power has been described as that ultimate human obsession. And it's almost like when you have a little bit of it, you don't stop there. You go to great lengths to get more and more until one day you can literally look around at the little world that you live in and you can literally say, I am the most powerful person around. That was the kind of life that Herod lived. I mean, if power is defined as the ability to control resources in order to uh, gain somebody's own destiny, that described Herod to a T. His life can be summed up in three words. He was capable, he was crafty, and he was cruel. He was extremely capable in what he was asked to do. And soon after becoming the king, he wiped out several bands of guerrillas who were terrorizing the countryside. And he even arranged all of his relationships as conduits for power. I mean, it was one thing that Herod could never get enough of. And so because he had this distrust of anyone who might be a challenge to him, he was a cruel man. He held tightly the reins of power, and he would go to great lengths to brutally remove anyone who got in his way. And so if you know his story very, very well, you know that over the years in his life, he killed many people. He killed his brother-in-law, he killed his mother-in-law, he killed two of his sons and even his wife for one reason. He was going to be more powerful than anybody else around him. He was preoccupied with that. Well, being preoccupied with power also brings this. He's preoccupied with possessions. He had the best of everything. He wanted it all. He wanted everything that a Roman Caesar had. And so he built seven palaces, seven theaters, one of which seated 9,500 people. He even built stadiums for sporting events, the largest that could seat 300,000 fans. Now, folks, that's a lot of power. That's a lot to possess. That's a lot to have at your fingertips. I mean, he had it all and then some. He even constructed a new temple for the Jews. I mean, if, if this one's not good enough, he had the resources he could just build another one, and people just flocked to that. <clears throat> well, with that came this next one. He was preoccupied with prestige. He loved to make an impression on other people. He loved to be able to look out to a crowd and people say, Wow, look at all that King Herod 
has. I mean, he has it all. He thrived on hearing people say say those kinds of things. He built entire cities with state-of-the-art architecture and amenities and named them after his superiors. He was a smooth talker, and he had a special ability to win over his opponents. Several of his ten marriages, did you get that? Ten marriages were prestige and oriented and politically motivated. He once married the daughter of his leading rival in order to just gain prestige and power. Again, he would do anything to make sure that nobody was going to be better than he was. And up to this point in his life, he succeeded because nobody really came to him in such a way and ever was trying to be a threat. And so he never really felt threatened about anything because he just took care of all of it. And so he was preoccupied with paranoia. And so ever since an enemy poisoned his father, who was a king himself, he was beset with paranoia everywhere he turned. He went to great lengths to make sure a secret ingredient never ended up in his soup. And when he became king, he commissioned tens of thousands of slaves to build over ten emergency fortresses, all armed and well provided. And then he would build and establish elaborate network of spies. I mean, he had it all. I mean, he had the CIA right there on his left and right and front and behind. Everywhere he turned, he was protected, he was guarded every step of the way. And so he kept that up for more than 40 years until one day he clashed with another king, one who was also called the king of the Jews because King Herod was known as the king of the Jews. Nobody else like him in his day until another king came on the scene. And so with that background, I want to fast forward, and I'm leaving out a lot of detail about his life, but I want to go to the final months of Herod's life. He's slowly dying of a disease. It's said that his crimes had affected his brain in terrible ways. And finally, after he murdered his wife, he became insane. And he contacted one disease after another just because of the life style that he chose to live. He ordered his sister to lock up all the noblemen in Judea and to execute them on the day of his death so that there would be mourning in Israel. And when he died, his sister would release all the prisoners. He was the king of the Jews. And then one day, according to Matthew chapter 2, word comes that another king would come on the scene. And I want you to look in Matthew chapter 2 as we read this text. By the way, you have an old preacher now. 
I broke down this week and finally realized I'm getting blind. I can't see and just with my regular eyesight looking at words doesn't happen. But with this, looks really good, Alan. Looks really good. Matthew chapter 2. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. Now when King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. Again, it didn't just disturb him. Like I said at the beginning of the story, it startled the entire city. I mean, it shook them up because they were just amazed that somebody else was now going to be on the scene. And so when he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Christ was to be born. Do you see what he's doing? He's playing to their favor now. He's doing everything because he wants them to think, man, you know, King Herod's having a change of heart here, and he's wanting to know all about this person. Well, I wonder why. He's trying to find out exactly where they're going. He's trying to find out exactly the location of where they're going to see this new soon-to-be king of the Jews. And so, in verse 5, In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, For this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem in the land of Judah, and by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people Israel. That's the text that we saw a couple of weeks ago from Micah chapter 5, verse 2, that from Bethlehem, that from Bethlehem would come the house of bread, would come Jesus. So then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and make a careful search for the child. Again, playing to their favors. And as soon as you find him, report to me so that I too can go and do what, church? And worship him. I mean... He's wanting them to think, you know, everybody else is going there to worship him, so why shouldn't I want to do that as well? And after they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. And on coming to the house... They saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. And then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and incense and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their own country by another route. They were looking for someone else. And when King Herod finds out that people are looking for somebody other than himself, he doesn't know what to do with that. 
Because for 40 years, all he has known is, I'm it. I am the guy. I am your king, and there's nobody else. When you look in verse 3, that word disturbed means to shake violently. And so not only from a physical standpoint did he shake, but he was shaking inside. He was shaking with every ounce of his body because he knew there's somebody else on the scene that's trying to be who I am. And no wonder. He had finally subdued his enemies and he had killed all of his foes and he was ready to die triumphantly. And those strangers come with their strange question and he realizes there's no time to rest now. There's one more person to kill, a young boy who claims to be the king. And it's no wonder that Scripture says that all of Jerusalem was shaken. Do you see what happens when we come into the presence of the King of Kings? Man, it does something to us, doesn't it, folks? It shakes us, it stirs us, and as we see here, when they saw the star, they were overjoyed because they realized this is the place where he is and so the mysterious men from the east knew something that Herod would never know that this little boy in a tiny house that was born in what we would call a feeding trough would someday not just rule that part of the country but he would rule the world and from that moment that changed the course of history. Amen? It changed the course of our lives. And so it's no wonder that they wanted to make that trip. And it's no wonder that they wanted to present this child with gifts. I mean gifts that were fit for a king. And so, realizing that he's been tricked, Herod wigs out. You've got to remember, he's a bloodthirsty killer by nature, and all the worst instincts of a lifetime of cruelty now come to the surface. And when Herod realized that he had been outwitted by this wise person and by these wise men, he was furious. And he ordered the cold-blooded murder of all the males less than two years of age. And all of a sudden, Herod the Great had become what would be known as the Butcher of Bethlehem. And so you have Herod the Capable versus little Jesus being held in the arms of his mother Mary. Now on the surface, who would you choose? And here we are on the other side of the story and we realize without a doubt 
Isn't it great that we chose the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords? It's made all the difference in the world. And so to say that the two kings merely crossed paths, you can't say it like that. They had a sudden impact of one life over another, of one lifestyle over another. King Herod represented the popular perspective on power that said you get it, you keep it, and you use it. King Jesus had a more simple yet radical philosophy. You use power to serve other people. And Paul would later on come along and say, in fact, your attitude needs to be the same as that of Jesus Christ, who became a servant. And so it's no wonder the two kings clashed. They both possessed power, but how they chose to use it really revealed what was in their hearts. And the more that I read this story and the more that I look at it, if you take a hard look inside, here's the scary part. If you're really honest with yourself, all of us, from time to time in our life, have little Herods staring back at us. Now think about it. When we would rather rule than serve, that's a little Herod sticking out and reminding us. When we focus on what we have or what we want rather than what we can give, that's the mindset of King Herod. When we'd rather be honored than look for ways to honor other people, that's the life of King Herod. When we see others as a threat instead of as one more person that matters to God, we see little Herods staring at us. And as we hear this story, I pray we can have the heart of the wise men. They were wise because they had faith. It took a lot of faith to make that journey that day. I'm glad they did it. They were wise because they were overjoyed and all they knew to do was to worship. Don't you just long for the day when we can have that kind of joy that all we want to do is just worship the King of Kings. And you know the sad thing? Every time we gather as God's people and we sing these songs and we're reminded in God's Word of how great God is and how small we are, we become to realize we serve an awesome God. One who loves us, one who goes to great lengths to have relationship with us, one that never gives up on us. One that always is there to welcome us home with open and loving arms. And as these wise men made that trip, they had faith and they worshipped. But you know what? 
their lives were changed forever because they came in contact with Jesus. You and I will have that same impact. And we'll be touched in that same way when we realize it's not about me. It's about more and more people whom we can serve for God. And use that alarm right there as a wake-up call. <laughs> that was perfect timing. To realize that God is always at work among his people. May we stand this morning and may we leave this place today in awe of the child Jesus Christ. Let's stand as we sing.